0: It's the next level. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well hello Mr. Fancy. Never get out of the game. Never get out of the game! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum.
1: The following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised.
2: 78 episodes Before this story begins, it was a time of darkness at Studio 0, a time when postmortem Paul and a small band of faithful listeners conspired to rid the world of hocuses and pocuses. And to save mankind from the forces of horrible movie evil, they blew it. Coming to you, undead and full of Halloween spirit, from the Next Level Network of Podcasts in the basement dungeon of Studio Zero where wolfmen have nards and virgins have sex that, well, I guess it just doesn't count. Welcome back, everyone, to What, what lurks, lurks Behind, behind Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And this is episode 79, one away from 80, and 21 away from 100. I promise one hundred is not the stopping point, but we're on our way. This week's featured review is a fun one, a movie for the whole family well, kind of. I mean, it is, but more on that later. It's a tribute, an homage. And it's definitely in like the top lists of many beloved fans. From the man who gave us Night of the Creeps, Fred Decker, comes a tale of youth versus legends in 1987's The Monster Squad. But before I get to that... So, how many of you have extra cash in your wallet? Feel like spending some money? Yeah, because it's that time of the year. The time of the year when all our favorite horror movie distributors decide they're going to have a bunch of sales. Yeah, it's a good thing I saved a lot of money this year. (laughs) So, let's see. Scream Factory has a sale going right now. Uh, You can save up to 50% off of like something like I think it's like 200 titles but that one I'd act fast because see I fucked up I should have I had looked the first day they announced it I went and looked and I was like eh, I'll think about a few of these and they, one of the movies they had was Night of the Comet uh, for like $9.99 and stupid here decided oh well you know I'll think about it no should have just bought the damn thing because guess what it's sold out now So so I didn't get that one Um, not that there's, you know, there's, there's other places I can find it, obviously, but it just would have been nice to get it for that cheap of a price, but, oh, wow but yeah, the Scream Factory sale, I definitely, definitely don't wait. If you see something, grab it right then because odds are it's going to go fast. Uh, Arrow Video just yesterday, October 12th announced their sale, I believe their sale is lasting to like November 6th or something like that. Anyways, you can save up to like 70% off movies. And yeah, I've already uh, ordered three. <laughs> and probably going to add a few more on top of that. But yeah, um, the sales are on. It's that time of the year, you know. Not to mention that Friday the 13th box set from Shout Factory or Scream Factory, whatever. Uh, it's been making its way out to fans been seeing it on social media people are already getting it I know mine is coming I think by the end of this week I'm hoping uh, because I did order mine from Amazon.ca so I knew it would be a little bit later like people that actually ordered it from Show Factory they're getting them now and I gotta wait a bit but whatever as long as I get it that's all that matters you know it's not like I don't already have like the full Friday the Thirteenth series on VHS and DVD. So yeah, let's sure let's add the Blu-ray. Why not? Us damn collectors, right? But um, yeah. Speaking of collections and you know the full series or whatnot, recently uh, rewatched the Basket Case trilogy, and you know what? I'm not gonna lie, Basket Case will eventually be an episode on this show. Don't be surprised if I do it as a three-parter and or as like one, you know, extra long episode. Because, you know, okay, I love the original. Don't get me wrong. The original is it's perfect. It's perfection. But I forgot how much I love the sequels. Watching Basket Case 2 and Basket Case 3 was like very enjoyable. I, I it had been a while since i watched them and i own both of them um i have all three on blu-ray actually but i just for some reason i always watch part one and i stop there i decided this week i was like you know what i really i need to go back and watch those those sequels (sighs) so much fun i mean batshit crazy especially that third one i mean think about it belial has kids and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything more than that. But Belial has kids. Think about that for a minute. I mean, for those of you who may not have seen the Basket Case uh, sequels. And I mean, like, give props to Lauder, you know. Because, like, that first movie alone is already, like, fucking bizarre and out there. And then he comes out with these sequels that... I- amp it up even more it's like how much more fucking crazier can you go oh watch it's one of those like hold my coffee and watch this moment so yeah I'm not going to spoil anything I'm not going to talk about the actual movies because like I said they are going to be episodes on this podcast but it was just it was nice to go back and just revisit them and it also made me realize because I know there's been rumors about a part four if we're gonna do part four I'm cool with that don't remake these goddamn things. I know, and that's the thing. Everything is about remakes these days. But please leave the basket case movies alone. I know most most likely they'll never be remade because you know even Hen and Lauder himself like makes fun of himself for making those movies. But they have such a huge cult following, and people just love them the way they are. We want the stop motion. We want the cheesy gore. We want the. You know, the puppetry and all that and all the like the practical effects. Just leave it be. Don't no, Don't remake fucking basket case movies. Moving on. So this is being recorded early Tuesday morning. But of course, Monday in Canada this past like this week uh, was Thanksgiving um, or Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. Yeah. So <laughs> last year I watched Killing, the first movie this year I decided, nah, let's watch Part 3. I know you're sitting there going, well, where? what, what about Part 2? Well, it, the point of Part 3 is to find Part 2. I know it just doesn't make sense, but it does, because the whole idea of killing Part 3 is that Turkey, the name of the, you know, our, our killer Turkey, is named Turkey, uh, <laughs> is trying to hunt down the... The last remaining copy of Thanksgiving Thanksgiving 2. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about this movie... It's on Tubi, by the way. If you really want to waste your time with it. And the thing is is that it does have its funny moments. Well, man, they could have cut that thing down by at least a half hour. You know, the the first Thanksgiving is, I think, what? An hour and six minutes long, I think. If I remember correctly. And it's perfect. It campy, it's stupid, it's cheesy, but it lasts just long enough for you to be able to say, okay, I've tolerated enough, the movie's over, thank God, it's done, let's move on. Thanks, Killing 3 is like... it's like a test of fortitude, man, like, fuck, the movie just goes on forever, and... Like, the thing is, is like, okay, I realize it had a bigger budget, and it was a bigger idea. This thing could have had the potential, stick with me for a minute on this, okay? This movie could have had the potential to be Dark Crystal meets Lord of the Rings meets Child's Play, and I know you're sitting there going, wow, where the fuck is he coming from on this? But the thing is, is that with what the movie wanted to do, and how they were, like, bringing it out into space, and then they were bringing in puppets, and it, I mean, like, like, Literally puppets that look like they came from Sesame Street or the Muppet Show. It it had potential. And instead, it ends up being like Happy Time Murders meets any and all bad Adam Sandler films. Like, and by me, you know, bringing Happy Time Murders into this, (laughs) that's not saying much. Um, Personally, okay, personally, I don't care for Melissa McCarthy films. I know there is a fan base out there. I'm not knocking people who do like her movies, but for me personally, I can't stand her. It's just, just my opinion. Just saying. And as for Adam Sandler, not a big fan. Uh, you know, Happy Gilmore was good. Um, Billy Madison was funny. After a while, though, you notice with Adam Sandler films, it's the same shtick over and 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 like every movie he has to have that one moment where he explodes and like you know gets really animated and he does the the stupid baby talk thing and whatnot i know there's this new movie that was just released on netflix called uh what is it hubie halloween or whatever and the thing is is i want to watch this movie because it was filmed parts of it was filmed in salem massachusetts which is beautiful this time of the year So I want to kind of watch this movie. But at the same time, I'm like, it's an Adam Sandler movie. I know what I'm going to get. Do I really want to tolerate this just so I can watch the scenery? I probably will. Because I'm a glutton for punishment like that. But... Let's put it this way. There's going to come a day where I'm actually going to start asking people, which would you rather prefer? Hubie Halloween or Hocus Pocus? I don't know what the answer will be, but it's like that that's where i'm at right now with this but anyways yeah uh thanks killing (laughs) three um i honestly don't even remember if i finished it because i was kind of watching it while i was preparing this podcast and for all i know the movie could have ended and i didn't notice um so yeah there's that uh hey chicago bears are four and one I know you're like, God damn it! second episode in a row where he throws sports talk in here. But, I mean, seriously. Okay, this is my 30-second moment on this and then we'll move on. You need to understand that I'm a Bears fan. It's kind of like Lions fans. We don't really go into a season with high expectations, if any expectations at all. The fact that we're 4-1. and one. Yes, I know, some of these wins have been luck. As someone felt they needed to point that out you know out to me this past week and it's like really like first off I don't give a shit but secondly I'm aware of it there's lots of teams that win based on luck okay the fact is is the Bears are four and one we're one game shy of being at the top with Green Bay Packers this never fucking happens okay the last time this happened was what like 2000 2010 like almost a decade ago come on I'm excited about this. So this is my 30-second sports moment, and we're moving on. We'll move on to my other favorite thing in the world, social media. No, um, I will say this about social media. Social media is still very annoying. Uh, (laughs) I was not impressed. What was it, after the presidential debate when everyone was posting, you know, The 1985 or 1986 movie poster for The Fly. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Look at all these people showing all this love to The Fly. And then I found out why. Fucking people still tune into these goddamn things. And we wonder how the keeping up with the Kardashians lasted 20 seasons. Like, come on. Anyways, yeah. So that was annoying. But that aside, it is nice this time of the year. Horror sites are alive and well with you know funny jokes and you know those images with words you guys call them memes i i, I don't know I think it's because i'm French Canadian I know here we go, oh oh fucking French think they're better than everyone else, no, we don't um, not all of us anyways but but meme in French is like meme, which is what I called my grandmother, so whenever I see the word, it irks me because I'm like. What, you're saying you're posting my grandmother all over the internet? Like, that just sounds wrong, first off. And secondly, it's just, it's something that irks me. So, that's why I always call them images with words, even though I know they're called memes. Um But, I mean, like... It, the horror sites are alive and well with like great little imagery. And I mean, like some of the beautiful, like Halloween displays, what is it? The Wilkes family Halloween display. Follow that Facebook page. They've been posting some awesome live videos night after night of like, you know, their, their whole like fucking house is just like beautiful. And they've got like a Halloween three theme and a Halloween theme. And they got Freddy Krueger walks around and all. It's fucking awesome. um, so you got that going on. you got movie sales going on, like I mentioned earlier. You know, Arrow Video and Scream Factory and whatnot. All these awesome sales. At October 13th and 14th is Prime Day on Amazon. I'm sure there's going to be horror movies on sale for that. And, I mean, even this, as much as, like... It, there's a funny joke going around the internet right now where it's like, you know, people that watch horror movies all the time looking down on people who watch them only at Halloween. The part that bothers me about that picture is the image the the picture in that meme is from Twilight, and it's like, geez, thanks. Like, you couldn't pick a better fucking horror movie, but whatever, because Twilight is so horror. But anyways, (laughs) it's kind of funny at the same time though because like all of us that are like big into the horror movies it's like right now we're considered like the rock gods to all our normal friends who are like i need recommendations can you tell me something that i can watch and it's just it's funny because like for like that one month in the year you're not looking down on us going you're fucking weird (laughs) you know um and i mean on top of that i will say this social media has lightened up a little bit on the whole like you know the pandemic thing and the political things and whatnot and a lot of people are coming out and just finding ways to enjoy halloween i like that a lot of people are saying you know what you're not canceling this one on us it's just it's to put it in like a basic bitch term i know everyone hates when i say that but whatever it's been a feel-good time of the year and it's been kind of nice and that's coming from a guy who hates social media so that's that's not bad like i i'm not going to lie like i've actually been on facebook a lot more than i normally would just because it's like it's not so depressing and i'm not like you know doing the facepalm shit thing all the time or rolling my eyes because people are fucking stupid no it's people are actually having fun this time of the year and it's nice so I wanted to put out something positive about social media. I'm still probably going to cancel the Twitter and Instagram accounts for this podcast, but (laughs) for the time being, social media is not that bad right now. But now it's time for our feature of the week, a shared podcast experience of a 1980s movie that, if it was to be released now in 2020 in the current time frame and mindset of the world, this movie would be ripped to shreds. But in nineteen eighty seven it was well it wasn't as successful as it could have been. More on that after the break though. We're gonna do the Tyler the trailer timeout. I almost called it the Tyler tameout. Whatever. Don't you love that? Like it, Sometimes, you know, like your tongue just gets tied and there's, that's a, that's a movie idea in itself. Like having like, you know, like visuals of like a tongue actually being tied. I know it's been done, but it would just be, that would be like, you know, like have like this monster that's like haunting people. And every time they talk, it ties their tongue. And yeah, I know I'm kind of weird like that. Anyways trailer timeout, and when we return our shared podcast experience from 1987 the Fred Decker classic the monster squad back in a moment kids
0: you know who to call when you have ghosts but who do you call when you have monsters we're the monster squad What it's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. naughty virgin! They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, Look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? The to kill the werewolf. Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Somebody's out there and it's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. Send the creatures in the night. will move around. you monsters. Us? Midnight in the world, remember? We can be like Mass Squad and Stage, you know? Two Mass Bombs. We got 1035, back Backup! Hurry up! We'll meet your squad. The book is right. Don't you see it's all true? By midnight. You guys. They won't seem so young anymore. Mr. Squad Wolfman's me you imagine if I recorded a whole episode sounding like this? Welcome to What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero and I'm your host, Postmortem Paul Wouldn't that drive you fucking nuts? Do you want to play a game? Can you imagine if I recorded a whole episode sounding like this? And I am Postmortem Paul. I sound godlike. Or not. And on that note, thank you for tuning in. This has been What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. I hope you enjoyed the show.
2: Alright, I'm done fucking with y'all. I won't do that for a while again. Probably next episode, but <laughs> no. Um that's a cool program I downloaded it on my computer a few months back. Around the time when I did the Scream episode, if you remember that episode, I opened up the episode like trying to sound like Ghostface, and uh, it was a program I downloaded, completely forgot it was on my computer, and the other day I get an email, they're like, you can update for new voice effects and whatnot, and I was like, fuck, I forgot I had that, so yeah, um, been fucking around with it a bit and whatnot, but enough of the lead-in shit. Uh, the monster squad was released August 14th, 1987 in North America. Well, it said us, but I'm assuming Canada was probably the same thing. Um, I didn't see this one in the theaters. I saw it on cable. Actually, I believe I saw it like the following year, like 1988. I know I saw it It was still the eighties when I saw it. So I'm, pretty sure it was like the following year but i remember seeing it on cable i didn't see this one in the theaters sadly i wish i had now but oh well whatever directed by fred decker and fred decker is also famous for another movie another movie known as night of the creeps starring tom atkins you know thrill me we all know that line um he had some help he was also he was the writer on this film but he had some help had some help from the one Shane Black. Shane Black um, acted and worked on movies like Predator and Robocop 3. As well as he wrote and directed Iron Man 3 and the 2018 film The Predator. Uh, A bunch of other projects as well. I'm just trying to narrow this down because there's a lot of people I have to get through in this one. Uh, But yeah, Shane Black, he helped Fred Decker write this thing. Uh in terms of producers, producers, we had Jonathan A. Zimbert, uh Rob Cohen. Rob Cohen was uh he was a big part of the movie uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. I believe he wrote, directed, and produced that, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh Keith Barish produced this, Neil Mackless, and Peter Himes, who uh Himes was responsible for films like uh End of Days, Time Cop, Sudden Death. Um so yeah, we had big names producing this film as well. Cinematography was done by Bradford May. Bradford May worked on Darkman 2 and Darkman 3. He also was a big part of the Tremors series that was on Sci-Fi um, uh, 2003 I believe, uh, way back in the day. Someone just pointed out that So I, a friend of mine the other day just says, "Oh my god, I'm watching Tremor 7." And another friend comments on there. He's like, we're up to seven. It's like, yeah, um, <laughs> this is a series that does not want to die. And you know what? To be fair, people still watch it. So why kill it. Um, that's in terms of the movies, but the, there was the TV series as well. And that's what Bradford may was responsible for music by Bruce Broughton. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Come of the, some of the shit he did uh, come of the shit he did. Yeah. Um, Yeehaw! That sounds kind of gross. Anyways, some of the shit he did... He worked on uh, the Ice Pirates from 1984. The highlights for me, though, was he worked on the Tiny Toons series and he did the music for the Tiny Toons Adventures, How I Spent My Vacation, um, straight-to-video full-length movie, which we had that on VHS. I think we still have it somewhere, too. It could be in my basement somewhere. But, um... Uh my sister was like addicted to that movie, so naturally because you know, she would put it on the TV, I would watch it. I'm not gonna lie, I used to love that movie. Um probably would still enjoy it today because it's just the kind of person I am. Bruce Broughton also worked on the Lost in Space movie from nineteen ninety eight. So those are just a few highlights he worked on. Ah, Monster Creator and Special Effects by Stan Winston. Oh geez, what a famous name in the horror community, right? Worked on Terminator T2, Lake Placid, Predator, Predator Two, Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead was like one of his big ones. We we all love that movie, I know. I, and you know, I saw an article on the internet the other day that said something to the to the effect of that Pumpkinhead is that one movie that's really not that good, but we just still love it. And how it's not really a Halloween film, but we love it at Halloween. That is so true. Uh, Pumpkinhead's a great fucking movie. Uh, Stan Winston also worked on Constantine. He worked on The Relic, Jurassic Park, Leviathan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I could go on forever, and I really don't want to because I still have a lot of names to go through, starring cast. <laughs> so I believe it was was it last week's episode? I was like, oh, I got a really small cast to you know talk about. Not this week. This week it's really long cast, and there's some names I kind of cut out because it was like it just went on and I'm like okay I know there's a lot of people involved with this so we really had to narrow shit down when well we me and my multiple personalities had to narrow shit down when I was doing this so a lot of the cast have one or two credits to their name even though they have many (laughs) and we'll start with Andre Gower as Sean Crenshaw he's our main lead kid Teenager, um, Andre Gower, who was in other movies and whatnot, but I I wanted to highlight something that I'm going to be talking about a little bit later on in the show. He is a big part of the documentary series Wolfman's Got Nards. I'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, Robbie Keiger or Keiger is it Keiger or Keiger? I never know. Um, as Patrick Rhodes, he was also in Children of the Corn from 1984. Stephen Mock as Detective Del Crenshaw. He's uh, Sean's father. Uh, he was also in the film Graveyard Shift. Uh, he was also featured on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, quite, I think he had like several appearances on there. Definitely one of the highlights of this movie, Duncan Rieger as Count Dracula. He's such a great Dracula in this film. Um, he was also in V the series, uh, the series that ran in, I think it was 1984, uh, followed the, um, there was V the original mini series, V the final battle. And then they did V the series. He was part of the series. He is, uh, probably most well known though as Zorro from the TV series that ran from 1990 to 1993. He was the title character. He was Zorro. Ah, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster. I say Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. So many people get that wrong. And I know I'm being a fucking asshole when I say that, but I mean, yeah, okay. There's that picture on the internet that always, like, it's like the end of Mary Shelley's book. And it says, you know, something about, and the monster said, it's okay if they call me Frankenstein. Yeah, I I know. I just like being an asshole sometimes. Uh, Tom Noonan though was also in the movie Manhunter. That was the uh, the one film that Hannibal Lecter was not played by Anthony Hopkins. He was also Tom Noonan was also in RoboCop two and he was in The House of the Devil. Brent Cawlem, I think I'm pronouncing his last name properly. Uh, he played Horace, also AKA Fat Kid. Um. He only had eight acting credits to his name. He died at a very young age. I believe he was 22 when he passed away. Uh passed away in 1997 due to pneumonia. He uh, was very young. Uh, great actor. He, he's awesome in this movie. I freaking love him. And it's it's a shame he died so young. But yeah, he died uh, due to complications with pneumonia. Uh, not COVID-19. Okay, moving on to Ryan Lambert as Rudy Holleran. Rudy, uh, I have things to talk about Rudy later on. Uh, I highlighted the fact that he also came from a TV series known as Kids Incorporated. And it was a series that ran through the 80s into the 90s. The reason why I mentioned that is because it, the show Kids Incorporated also featured um, stars like Fergie from the black eyed peas and Mario Lopez, who is now what he's the host of entertainment tonight. One of, and was also what saved, saved by the bell. I believe that was the show he was from moving on to Ashley bank as Phoebe Crenshaw, little Phoebe. Uh, she was mainly a TV actress. She, um, I think she had something. I, if I remember correctly, I read like 29 acting credits uh, she was in... Uh, she had an episode or two. I believe it was one episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She was in a 1991 TV movie known as uh, The Haunted. And that was with Sally Kirkland and Jeffrey DeMund. Um, we're going to keep moving on, though. There's a lot of names to this movie. Uh, Michael Faustino. And you're saying, God, that last name sounds familiar. Yes, he was the younger brother of David Faustino from Married with Children. Uh Michael Faustino in this plays Eugene. And I had to mention this when I saw he was part of this movie. He was part of the movie Suburban Commando. I had to mention that. Now, I'm going to be talking about a guy that they call him the Desperate Man slash the Wolf Man in here. Uh, Jonathan Grease or John Grease. And you're like, that name, why does that name sound familiar? Well, he's done a lot of shit. But two titles stood out to me when i was reading his resume and terror vision is one the other one you're jonathan Grease, our Wolfman in this movie a desperate man the man that's like somebody kill me that guy he's also uncle rico from napoleon dynamite i shit you not i thought it was awesome Okay, Mary Ellen Trainer as Emily Crenshaw. She is uh, Dell's wife, Sean and Phoebe's mommy. She was also a mother in the movie The Goonies. As a matter of fact, she was the mother of Army uh, Josh Brolin and Sean Astin, um, Mikey and Josh. I was like, what the fuck? No, is it Josh? No, Brad. Brad. That was his fucking name. How do I seriously? I should be shot. How the fuck do you fuck up anything from the Goonies? But, anyways, yeah, I just did. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mary Ellen Trainer was also part of Die Hard. Uh, she was in, I think, all four lethal weapon movies. She was also in Ghostbusters 2. Leonardo Cimino as our scary German guy. Oh. So it's so stereotyping, scary German guy. Oh well, whatever. Um he was cool with it. <laughs> he was also in V, the original miniseries. And yeah, uh basically sort of played the same kind of character. Um, you know, the whole idea of like he 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 was around during the Holocaust and whatnot. I believe I actually read a story where like he He brought that into a lot of his characters because I believe it's actually true. I Could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. But I believe I read that somewhere. Moving on to Lisa Fuller, who plays Lisa Rhodes. Must be nice to have the same first name. I say this after, what, a couple weeks ago, doing the episode on Host, where everyone was basically playing themselves. But anyways, uh, she is the older sister to patrick she's rudy's crush uh more on her character later but anyway she was also in films like earth girls are easy and she was in an episode of Freddy's nightmares the episode school days tom woodruff jr as the gill man not the creature from the black lagoon but he was known as gill man uh (laughs) And kind of like Stan Winston, this guy's name is like linked to a multitude of projects, uh, which included Tremors, Alien 3, Pumpkinhead, Aliens, Demolition Man, Mortal Kombat, Bubble Boy, IT, and most recently Godzilla vs. Kong. He's doing the special effects and the monster creations for that film coming out in 2021, I believe. So awesome. Michael McKay as our mummy interestingly enough you you'd never know like who he is because he's the mummy right like he's all bandaged up you don't see him but he actually uh he was in two movies that I thought I had to mention one you guys will shoot me for the other one that's kind of cool he was Jason in x2 x-men united uh he was um what, what was his code name he was uh One, four, three, I think it was, or something like that. And then he played Bane in Batman and Robin. Yeah, I actually went there. We're going to talk about Batman and Robin, because he played the the lanky Bane before he becomes all balloon and fake-looking.
1: Yeah,
2: he's Bane. Anyways, I got two left two left to talk about and then we'll move on. Jack Willem as Abraham Von Helsing. He's awesome. I like, the, I like the Van Helsing in this movie. He's really good. Uh, he was also in Clash of the Titans and I felt I should note he did pass away in 2001. Final, final cast member. I'm talking about Pete, Pete, the Beagle. In this movie. Was played by Jake. And you're like seriously. He's giving credit to the fucking dog. Yes I am. My podcast. I love dogs. Jake is getting his due props. Jake played Pete the dog. The beagle. So fucking cute too. Jesus I love the dog in this movie. Rating. So the movie was rated PG-13 in the United States. It was rated PG in Canada. It had an M rating in Australia. NC-16 in Singapore. Uh, what did it have? Uh, was it uh, 15 plus, I think, in like Sweden? The movie's got ratings all over the place. To me, to be fair, I think the Canadian rating is probably the best best of the ratings i understand the pg-13 in the united states but i think canada was more well we've we, here in canada we've always been a little bit more lax like there's a lot of movies that in the united states were rated r and here they were rated like you know like 14 and adult kind of thing and stuff like that um but yeah i think the pg rating fits this movie the best the runtime is depending on where you look The runtime is 79 minutes or 82 minutes. I believe 82 minutes is the accurate one, but I've seen where some websites were saying it was 79 minutes. I'm like, "Mm, okay, never noticed. Um, The budget for the film was 12 million. The box office, uh, this hurts to say this, but it was only 3.8 million. Kind of hurt. More on that later. For home entertainment, it was available on Vestron VHS. That was the only VHS release. I have it. I know. Why you always gotta thump your fucking chest about every VHS you own? Well, you know what? Whatever. But I do have the VHS of this. I also have the Lionsgate 2 DVD set. I do not have the Blu-ray, though. And there was a Lionsgate region-free Blu-ray, which is out of print, and Olive Films also released a A region-A Blu-ray out of print. And the Olive Films uh, Blu-ray, I have not heard good things about. But, on a plus note, you can stream it through Amazon Prime in Canada and in the United States, and it's a nice transfer. It It looks good, so... But we do need an actual Blu-ray release of this fucking movie. Like, Arrow Video or Scream Factory. Seriously, someone pick this thing up and give us a nice release. I mean, even Lionsgate. Like, seriously, get on it. Blu-ray, please. And thank you. So, notes from the scary German guy's house. Where we will have pie while we will talk about all these things. No, we won't. But, I mean, you're welcome to have pie if you want, but. So, The Monster Squad. The Monster Squad, if you've, if you've actually paid attention to this movie, you know what it is. It's an homage. It's, it's a love letter to the Universal Studio monster movies of the 1930s. However, <laughs> due to licensing issues, the crew had to create the characters for this movie that were suggestive, but not exact copies. So, for example, um what did I read? Dracula was allowed to be Dracula, but he couldn't have the... um What the fuck do they call that? Like, he couldn't have, like, the bit of the hair that comes down. I can't remember the name of that for the life of me. But he couldn't have that, anyways, where, like, the hair comes down to, a, like, a point on the forehead. He it, it couldn't have that. Um... I mentioned earlier. I said Gilman, and I said he's not the creature of the Black Lagoon. He was not allowed to be referred to as the creature, at all, um, and he couldn't have the look, um, and uh, name. Shane Shane Mahan Shane Mahan uh, was one of the special effects guys that was interviewed, and he said like it, it was somewhat frustrating for them because they wanted to do exact replicas of those Universal Studio monster movies and they couldn't um due to the licensing issues. Uh the Frankenstein monster, uh that was the one that they said like he was allowed to look somewhat like the Boris Karloff creature, but the bolts weren't in the neck. So instead they had them on his forehead. Um but yeah there was like little differences. I think the mummy was probably the most closest well even that the wolfman was kind of accurate as well um i think i read somewhere that they said the wolfman they they fashioned his face to look like stan winston um more or less uh, than like lon Chaney. like it, it was it was less of a look of lon channy's more like stan winston or something like that i remember reading some cool shit about it anyways um And okay, so the movie, this movie came out six months before Shane Black's Lethal Weapon. Because I did mention he worked on Lethal Weapon. This movie came out six months before that. And Dustin Diamond and Liam Neeson were both supposed to have small roles in this film. But okay, so I believe it was Dustin Diamond's scenes were cut and liam neeson's were never filmed liam neeson got paid though even though they didn't even film his his part so uh, it's interesting um so the beginning of the movie where there's the plane that's flying overhead that's got you know the the monsters in the back uh that's the scene that has uh david provol and i forget who the other guy's name is shit anyways uh, when they're talking and then you know it's like i heard a noise back there and and then they see Dracula and whatnot. Anyways, the the, the plane on the side, uh, on the, the, the side of the plane, has uh, Browning written on it. And that was a nod to uh, the director, Todd Browning, who did the original Dracula in 1931. Um, tr- 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 Which, it was very interesting. So, during the film, uh, multiple references are made about the characters from the 1940s. However... The characters that they're homaging in in this film all came from films in the 1930s. So, for example, you had Todd Browning's Dracula in 1931. Um, there was Frankenstein was late 31. Uh, the Mummy was 1932. Uh, let's see, the original werewolf film was in 1935. Even though the Wolf Man with Lon Chaney was 1941. And then uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was released in 1954. So actually that one came a lot later. And as I was reading, the only real movie that actually was uh, referenced from 1940s, like in, in the 40s, is actually the them making fun of the teacher with the cat head uh, because uh, 1942 cat people and so the cat head is their sort of like inside joke tribute to cat people so i thought that was pretty cool um in terms of the writing of the script and whatnot uh fred decker actually took a line from night of the creeps and used it in this film as well uh in which he said the the the, the line dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves is used in both films uh, in this one, it's when Dell, uh, when Dell's uh, questioning about you know the mummy, how the mummy's gone missing from the the museum and whatnot, and he's like, "Dead guys do not get up and just walk away by themselves." And then they show you know the mummy dragging his feet and whatnot. Apparently, that line—well, apparently, I, I know it was, but <laughs> it was used in the film *Night of the Creeps* from 1986. The Chicago Bears fan in me is mentioning this shit fuck off and die if you don't care to hear it I love you guys you know that but anyways Jason Hervey uh, who plays EJ he's wearing a Walter Payton shirt in this movie Jason Hervey would play the brother to Fred Savage in the Wonder Years and Fred Savage wore a Walter Payton jersey in the Princess Bride all I gotta say to that is dub bears um, yeah, I thought that was uh, one of those like six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of shit, you know, where it's like, anyways, I don't know you're like, fuck off. Why are you always got to bring the bears into this? But I love you all. Really? So, OK, so. So I mentioned about that this film couldn't be I if it was released as it is today in the theaters, I'm. The thing is, is that I'm sure it'd be all right, but when you have that 2020 mindset going into this, and this is where, you know, this is where me, the old grumpy guy, you know, gets pissed off at social media because social media is, oh, hey, I'm going to be an armchair Avenger and I'm going to hashtag cancel this. So in 1987, much of the language in this movie seemed like nothing. Um, I mean, it was words that kids were using every day in 2020, this movie would be persecuted and petitioned and treated like Satan's bowel movements due to words like, I'll give you three seconds to move forward by 15 seconds. Cause I'm going to use the words here and I don't want to upset anyone, but words like retard, faggot. Yeah. I know everyone's favorite word where it gets used in this movie. Um, there's one point where the kids actually refer to, I believe it's the principal they're talking about, and they say that he's going homo. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's some um, very colorful language used here. Now, like I said, like in 1987, that's how kids talked. I mean, even in this podcast, there's been a couple times I've caught myself where I've been like, oh, that's retarded. We didn't, when we used to say that as as kids and whatnot, we didn't mean it in like, you know, like retarded for us meant like that something was like stupid, you know, or like a a famous one from the eighties was like, you know, when you would say, well, something was gay. And again, it was one of those things where it's like, we didn't say it with a hateful tone. It was more or less just like. It's like saying like, well, you know, that's ridiculous or that's stupid or, you know what I mean? Like, and the thing is, is that like nowadays, like there's so much of don't say that, don't say this. And I, when I watched this movie, like, and it it was funny, I watched it a few weeks ago. It was kind of what made me decide that I wanted to talk about this movie because I realized I'm like, wow, like, how the eras are different. Like it's still kind of the same, but like there's words today that get used that, you know, 20 years from now, people may turn around and say, well, that offends me. And it's funny how like stuff like that happens. I don't think that when, like when they, when they were making this movie, I don't think it w- it was meant with any intention to, to hurt anyone. Like even, even the character of Horace, Horace, like in certain like articles I was reading and whatnot, they, they credit him as being known as fat kid. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, we, we try not to make fun of people who have obesity issues and whatnot, but this movie was kind of also pointing out like the idea of being bullied and overcoming being bullied without actually like slamming it down your throat there's there's other issues with or not issues but there's other things with this film that they do very subtly without actually slamming it down your throat and i thought like you know when i was watching this movie i'm like okay yeah these words would not float in today's society but then again we're also pointing out that one this is a timepiece it's 1987 It's clearly 80s. You can tell by the fashions. You can tell by the music. I mean, that ending theme song is like one of the worst rap songs ever. And yet, we love the shit out of it. You try releasing that on the radio today and people will be like, this is a fucking hack job. But then again, we have mumble rappers today. So, you know, this song might actually be a lot better. But um, another no-no that you know I was thinking about when I was watching this movie is Rudy. Rudy is possibly 13, 14 years old smoking and he smokes frequently in this movie. And, you know, here in Canada, like I said, the movie was a PG movie. That's a no, no in 2020. I mean, we, you, you don't even see, like, I remember growing up as a kid watching TV and there were cigarette ads on TV, cigarette ads in magazines, you know, uh, you don't see that today. Everything is about quitting. There was no promoting cigarettes. I mean, there there is a Flintstones commercial from, I believe, like from the 1960s, possibly 50s or 60s, but I believe it's the 60s, where Fred Flintstone and Barney are talking about going on break and they're going to have a smoke break where they're going to smoke a Winston. This was, in again, in 1987, it was nothing to have a character smoking on screen. Like nowadays, it's like, I mean, we had a character like John Constantine in these DC TV series and DC shows and whatnot, and the most you could show him was either holding the cigarette or putting the cigarette out. You never actually saw him smoking it on TV. Not allowed. Um, some people would probably even have a problem with the fact of there's the scene where EJ has been, you know, he, he he's... Clearly bullying Horace, calling him a fat kid, rips his comic book, steps on his chocolate bar, you know, his baby Ruth or whatever it is. And Rudy comes along and Rudy like basically flips the tables on him and makes, you know, EJ eat the chocolate bar that he just stepped on. And it's like, okay, we'd look at that, you know well, EJ was clearly bullying Horace, but then someone would turn around and say that Rudy is now bullying EJ. Does this make it any better? The next thing you know, you've got your armchair protesters, you know, starting a new hashtag to cancel Rudy. And and that's why, like, when I was watching this movie, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm overthinking it too much. But at the same time, it's like, this is our current era where everything offends people and everything is, we need to stop You know, stop talking like that. Stop acting like that. The thing is, is I guess my point is on this is that you can possibly stop people from saying things, but you can never stop people from thinking things. And this movie, I think I've always appreciated the fact that Fred Decker and Shane Black, when they wrote the screenplay for this, and for all I know, maybe the kids even ad lib some of this stuff. I don't really know, but... I mean, the thing is is that they didn't shy away from it. They understood you know this is what kids are like out in the playgrounds. this is what kids are like in school and out with their friends and stuff like that. You know you're such a dork and that's a that's another funny thing about this movie is like they the kids don't want to say fucking' so they say dorking. It's kind of funny, but um i mean that that's the thing is that this movie doesn't shy away from that it it kind of puts it in your face that you know what kids say Things that yeah they probably shouldn't, but they do. Uh, As an adult, yeah, you're supposed to have that filter. Sometimes I kind of like the fact that people don't have filters because then I know where I stand with them. You know, if someone's a racist fucking pig, sometimes it's kind of nice to know that, so then I know, all right, fuck you too, and walk away from them, kind of thing. I don't know. Like there's parts of me that totally uh, totally agrees with society and wanting to. you know make people think twice about what they say but at the same time i kind of like that it's not hidden and you know let me know the kind of person you are if you're gonna say something shitty it'll be better for me to know than for you to go hiding it so i don't know and and, and this is something that sometimes i really wish i did have a co-host on this show because it'd be nice to get like a, a flip side to this as well i find like i'm kind of like arguing with myself over this but um it's like, I don't know. When I was watching this movie, I, I I was hearing some of the language get used. I was seeing some of the scenery or like the, the scenes happening and whatnot. And I'm like, ah, shit. This movie might not hold very well in a theater today. But at the same time, I like its honesty and I like its bluntness. And so it, it's kind of a 50-50 thing with this movie. Moving on from that point, um, another thing that, sometimes gets detracted from this film is that some people approach this film as it was a Goonies rip-off. I've always been that person that I was able to distinguish between the two. Uh, Goonies, for me, is an adventure film. It's a group of kids, but they're out looking for pirate treasure. They're trying to save their town. This movie is more an homage to the old films of the 1930s and 40s and 50s, you take a group of youth, like a, of youths, you know, a group of kids, but you're approaching it that they're up against the monsters of the the 1930s. And you're trying to keep it modern at the same time. I mean, modern up to that time point, which is 1987. There's a lot of things I love about this film. What do I love about this film? Well, I think I kind of highlighted it already, but I'm going to like drive the point home with the kids are all likable. Um, even the kids that are like the, the shitheads, like EJ and his friend, Derek, like they still are kind of like what I would, I would see kids as like out in a park, a parking lot <laughs> out in a playground. Um, and the kids actually won an award in this. Uh, they won uh what was it? Young artists award for outstanding ensemble. Um, so that's kind of cool. Like, you know, they won an they won an award for th- this movie. Um, you got Sean. Sean is very charismatic. He's uh you know, he's the courageous leader, uh, smart ass at times. I kind of like that about him. And I find like his interactions with his sister Phoebe are very natural. Um, it, it is somewhat normal for a brother and a sister to have that rivalry and to be bickering back and forth with each other. I like that about him. Rudy. Uh, even though, yeah, they got him smoking, whatever. I, I'm not going to lie. When I was 15 years old, I was smoking too. So, I mean, it's not unbelievable. Um, Oh my God, you're supposed to be 21 or whatever age it is that, you know, they want you to smoke, but whatever. We all know that kids smoke. Um, and I, you know, it was nice to see a, a character that was a bit of a badass, but he still has his, his faults, and I like that they did that. Uh, Phoebe is a character that I, I really enjoy on this movie. I like her sweet innocence as a little girl, but I also like the fact that and this is something that you don't see that often today. Phoebe is a great female character without the need to shove it down the audience's throat. She gets picked on by her brother. She gets picked on by her brother's friends. She still keeps coming back. She still sticks it out. She ends up being the one that makes friends with Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. Um, she's the one that like she at the end of it all saves the day. She's that virgin who does the German incantation that, you know, opens up limbo and all the evil goes away. She's a fucking kick-ass character. And what's supposed to be, I think in the movie, they have that she's, what, six or seven or something like that? Like, she's just a little tiny girl. She had more girl power than most of these movies today have where we have to, like, make, like, this huge political statement that, well, women can do it too. Yes, we know that. We never fucking... Horror movie fans never really question that, you know? And, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, I know that there's that mentality out there that you know men always think they're better than women there are men that do i mean i'm not knocking that i'm not saying it doesn't happen but what i loved about this movie was that you took a little eight-year-old girl and you made her the fucking hero of of the movie when you actually think about it at the very end of this movie she's the fucking hero without her and the scary german guy and that's another thing too you take that you know that whole like racial stereotype of here's this scary German guy. You took the two most unlikely characters and made them the hero that saved this town. And then Horace Horace is another. So many people can relate to him. You know, how many kids were overweight, you know, how many kids had weight problems or, you know, had certain body disfigurements, which technically are not disfigurements. It's just the way your body is shaped and they get picked on for it. You know what I mean? Like, And Brent Shalom, rest in peace, but great performance as, you know, Horace, that, that kid that had something against him, he gets picked on all the time. And after he blows away Gilman, he looks at it and looks at EJ and Derek and he's like, my name is Horace and cocks that gun. And you're like, damn badass, man. Like, it's awesome about this movie. The monsters are memorable. I mean, Dracula was great. The Wolfman was great. And like I said, played by Uncle Rico, of all fucking people. Uh, Mummy and Gilman. <laughs> I, we call him Creature, but they call him Gilman. Um, they, they were awesome. Show Stealer is definitely Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein's monster, whatever you want to call him. Tom Noonan. Um, He's definitely awesome, and I remember the first time watching this movie. Yes, I wouldn't say I cried, but definitely got some feels when he gets pulled away into limbo, and you know Phoebe throws her her little what scraps or whatever she calls it, throws it at him, and he, he you know he's holding the little stuffed toy, and it's it's a it's a, it's a nice little soft moment. You know, was, Tom Noonan was fucking amazing in this. The makeup effects are fucking great. Stan Winston, a genius as always although one moment one moment in the film that i absolutely love uh not so much a makeup moment but it's still fun nonetheless is the mummy when like you know rudy like shoots the arrow and bandage gets stuck to the tree and it's like unwinding like a sweater and that's the thing with this movie the humor is great the humor is on point the movie does have its creepy moments but it's blended well with a lot of great humor um there's the iconic Stephen King's rules T-shirt in this movie, like you know, to the point where like that shirt ended up becoming a thing, and you can find it on Redbubble and T Public and all different like websites and whatnot. This is a great entry level film for young horror fans. And one thing that I really like that stands out in this film, again, very subtle, but it's there, is the whole the whole idea of the message of unity despite differences this whole group of kids that you have like i said you have the young little girl you have the teenager that smokes you have the horror nerds and you have the the quote unquote fat kid and they all come together to save the day and you know that's that's one thing that like it's very natural it, it flows very well in this movie it, there's also a the other thing that I really love about the film is the, the the references to the, the classic horror mythology, you know, like that, that whole club, you know, what with the, the, the trivia game that they play with Rudy there. And, you know, they're talking about like, how do you kill a vampire and how do you kill a werewolf? And like, it's kind of like a throwback to all those movies from the 1930s and forties, not to mention that fucking clubhouse that, that was every kid's dream in the eighties was to have that clubhouse. Um, Especially for the fact that, like, like one thing I love is, like, you know, uh, there's the, the posters in the back. I love checking out the posters that are on the walls and whatnot. There's Return of the Living Dead. Uh, Zombie, which was just the last episode I did on this show before this one. Uh, Twins of Evil, I noticed, can be seen in the clubhouse. Uh, I can't remember anymore off the top of my head. But anyways, um, like. It's just it's an awesome clubhouse, which here's my thing. Okay, so I'm going to get on to the point about the beagle Pete. Um, How does he get up there? Honestly, I there's nowhere that I see like they put him like in a bucket and like pull him up or anything like that. And I don't know, Eugene just seems kind of small. I, I can't see him being able to hold that dog while, you know, climbing into the clubhouse and whatnot. But somehow or another, that dog gets up there, which Pete is fucking awesome. He's the cutest little beagle, but he's everywhere. And I'm like, watching this movie, I'm like, how did, how did he get there? Like, you know, but it's just, it's awesome. I've got to really move on because I've still got a lot written down here. Um. So... Uh, the, the I mentioned earlier about the different ratings um, and it was uh, in a report I read from Empire Online that was pointing out so okay, uh, for example you know in the States it was PG-13 uh, in some places it was 15 plus like I said here in Canada it was PG um, some countries did give it a higher age rating Uh, Due to the language that I mentioned earlier, you know, words like retard and stuff like that. Um, Apparently, though, the virginity joke really didn't uh, go over well with movie boards and film boards that thought, you know what? This shouldn't be in a kid's movie. Um, And some people also like some film boards also felt that, you know, some of the scenes were a little too scary in this movie. I don't I don't know. Maybe it I like I said, I saw this movie I would have been about thirteen or fourteen when I saw it. So is that the right target audience age, but um I don't know that this movie would have scared me had I been younger. I don't know. I guess maybe the scene where like Rudy's going up against the vampire brides, maybe. That is a little kind of creepy and whatnot. The wolf man exploding and then his, you know, his body reforming yeah i guess maybe but it, uh, apparently it was the virginity joke that kind of like threw people over um which i mentioned way early in this episode about the whole idea of like i guess you're a virgin if certain guy doesn't count um what is it like what is it she says something like well steve but he doesn't count like okay <laughs> i guess that's how that works not so I was originally going to hold off on reviewing this film until after October 27th, but decided to do it now because I wanted to give recognition to the movie before a certain thing comes to be in my possession, because as of October 27th, Andre Gower's documentary, Wolfman's Got Nards, is going to be made available to the public through VOD and Blu-ray, and I do plan on checking this one out for sure. Wolfman's Got Nards is a passion project that Andre Gower put together uh, to explore the relationship between film and audience, to highlight the love for this movie from many fans, including famous uh, like filmmakers and actors and whatnot, along with common folk as you know, like us. Uh, and if you want to check it out, there's already a website for it called the it's thesquaddoc.com. That's the official website for the documentary. The trailer is on there. Uh, a little write up about what the what the movies uh, the documentaries can be about. Documentary has already been at like a lot of different uh, film festivals since like 2018, I think. Uh, been highly praised. I've seen a few shitty comments online about like people are like, "Well, I don't like the title of it." Well, the title's iconic because the whole Wolfman's got Nard scene is one of the most iconic scenes in this movie, you know. Horace kicks the fucking wolfman between his legs and we find out, holy shit, a wolfman, when he changes, he's still got a fucking dick. Um, it's, it's a thing. You know what I mean? Um, moving on to the receptions from the film, because I'm talking way too much on this episode. Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 62% approval rating from critics, 78% from the audience score. Some of the quotes I got from different critics, uh, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said, The Monster Squad is such fun, it makes you wish you were a kid again. I'm not going to lie, when I watch this movie, I still feel like I did when I was like 14, 15 years old, watching it for the first time. It does bring you back. Um, Kim Newman of Empire Magazine noted that, sharper than a stake in its genre references, The Monster Squad appeals to cinephile as well as teen sensibilities. And that's another thing about this movie, like the whole idea of the homage. Fred Decker and Shane Black did a very, very good job of being able to take you back not only to the 80s when you watch it now, but to take you back to the 1930s when you had those monster movies like Dracula, the, mon- uh, the, the Frankenstein monster, and the mummy and whatnot. Um, Keith Breeze of filmcritic.com called the monster squad unbridled fun for every kid who ever daydreamed about kicking monster ass, which yeah, I mean, quick little story. I know I keep, I always rant, you know, ramble on and whatnot, but funny little story. I think it was in grade six when I was in the sixth grade. Uh, my art teacher actually kind of noted that I had a fascination with monsters and, um, because we had like a scrapbook we were supposed to do like you know sketching in and whatnot and i had sketches of freddy krueger jason voorhees michael myers uh dracula so it was funny when i saw this movie and i'm thinking to myself yeah that's me i was that kid you know doing the little sketches and whatnot and dreaming about kicking monster ass now not everyone liked this movie um I've mentioned this guy before. I thought, yeah, I'm going to mention you again. Center remote. Vincent Camby of the New York Times. He wrote, This is a silly attempt to crossbreed an hour gang comedy with a classic horror film, which usually means that both genres have reached the end of the line. Nope. Monster movies are still being made as we speak. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post says, The movie plays like it was written by a power tool. No, I'm okay. I have no clue what he's trying to say by that. It plays like it was written by a power tool. Okay. Podcast zero rating. And I will make this brief and to the point of a stake. Great humor. Absolutely great humor. Great effects. Some really cool special effects. A subtle message of coming together despite differences to overcome the problem of the movie, to to meet a resolution. Yes, a beautiful homage to films of the past while making them modern. Up at least until the 80s. Obviously, this is an 80s timepiece. The kids are charismatic. The monsters are enjoyable. This film hits that nostalgic vein very hard, very bold. Um, especially if you grew up with it. It's not something. It, it's something that I think people my age. People like, you know, who have their own kids now, they'll want to share it with their kids. Obviously, in, in our 2020 era, you know, you're going to have to explain some language barriers and whatnot. Like, you know, the idea that, yeah, we were we, we spoke a little bit offensively back in those days, but whatever. Um, It's still something that can be passed down from generation to generation as long as you're not trying to be an insufferable twat about it, I guess. There's no need to hashtag movements to cancel the squad. We get it. If you're offended by bad words, just don't watch the movie. Move on. This movie is just about kids being kids while saving the world from Universal Monsters' best of the baddies. Um, you want my rating on this? This movie is 9 out of 10. Me, uh, it's a nine out of ten. I, I, I feel it's a classic flick, it's got feel good 80s vibes. If, if that's the thing, this is an 80s movie. I know we're really big on our 80s nostalgia and horror films these days. This is an actual 80s movie. This is what the 80s looked like, it's what it felt like. It's the music, it's the times. It's very childlike, it's still engaging. I get that this won't be a movie for everyone but this is definitely a movie for those of us who grew up with it and who appreciate a movie that just wants to have fun. Um, And no, it doesn't need a remake. We already kind of had one. It's called stranger things on that note. Thank you for listening. And thank you for letting me babble on and on this movie. There was a lot to talk about and I cut things too. Like I, my notes were a lot longer than that, and it was like, oh, damn, I, I, I could literally talk forever about this movie. But the thing is, is until I have a co-host, I gotta keep the shows short enough because you guys are only gonna listen to me for so long before you're like, I'm moving on. I'll, I'll go listen to you know the latest release from Avril Levine because it's less annoying. Like I mean, like seriously, I like I get it. So there were things I cut. But on that note, like I said, thank you for listening. Where you can find the podcast, you can find the podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or at its home at the next level network com slash podcast zero. You can also find the show at what lurks behind podcast zero dot com. Social media Facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero. Instagram and Twitter are still there. I have not deleted them yet. I may keep them running, but like I said, especially Twitter. Twitter is just too goddamn toxic and I just I don't like being on there. So we'll see what happens. Lurker's recommendation before we close out and i'm also going to announce the next episode because i've already got that picked out uh but lurker's recommendation was one that took me by surprise holy shit didn't see this coming uh film from 2019 was recently added on shutter i know i always seems like i'm always promoting shutter but there is a great film if you don't watch it on shutter i'm sure you can find it some other way you have to watch this fucking movie it's called the cleansing hour it's a very recent, relevant movie of the times uh, dealing with, like, online streaming. Um, and basically, I'll give you, like, the basic idea, and then I'm not going to spoil shit for you. But basically what it is is it's two friends put together this online show that they stream every week in which the one guy is supposed to be an exorcist. And he exorcises demons out of people's bodies, except he's a, he's a hack. He's a, he's a fake. But his show is successful and whatnot. And anyways, he wants he, he wants more fame. He just wants more. He doesn't feel that he's at his level yet. Goes to do a show, one episode. And, you know, the, the, the person that's supposed to show up that's going to be their guest exorcism doesn't show up. So the, the, the guy behind the scenes, his girlfriend says, Okay, fine, I'll be the person in the chair. You can exorcise the demon out of me only to have an actual demon possessor. And I'm not going to say anything more than that. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big... I, I, possession movies and exorcism movies, they, they're they hit and miss with me, more, more times missed than hit. This one was fucking awesome. So that's my Lurker's recommendation of the week. Next episode is a classic... I'm 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 going with a classic Uh, one that dates it predates the 80s I'm going with one that uh, I recently picked up the blu-ray for I'm really glad to have it in my collection now it was a it was a favorite of mine growing up even as a teenager and in my 20s Uh, it's a Vincent Price Vincent Price classic film based on an uh, Edgar Allan Poe story the Mask of the Red Death. That is the next episode I'm doing. We're gonna close out with the closing track from the movie The Monster Squad, which is that rap song. Uh, I have the actual full track, so this is the full track as it as it was released. I believe it was La La Records that actually released the soundtrack, and this full track was from there. So the song is called The Monster Squad. It's performed by the monster squad for the movie, the monster squad. We get the point, right? Um, with help from Michael Sambello, which if that name sounds familiar to you, he's the one that's responsible for the song maniac from flash Dance That carpenter brute ended up remaking and did a fucking great job with it. Anyways, I'm babbling. So it's time to move on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I know this was a long episode, but you stuck it through and I really do appreciate that. So thank you so much. And next episode, mask of the red death starring Vincent price until then it's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up.
1: I'm gonna tonight. This ain't Halloween for some 40 deal. They be playing for keeps. they be playing for real No on, darkness spread all across the land We're the only ones left to make a stand We don't wanna hide with the walking dance So we gotta kick some monster butt instead And you'll never see such a ghastly sight When the Monster Squad saves the world tonight Monster Squad, we're
0: the Monster Squad And the forces of evil